Praise the Lord. Can we stand one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you just lift your hands, just close your eyes one more time and just open up your heart to what God has for you this morning. Understand you are not just a number in a, a clog of system, complex world, but you are an individual that God loves, that God created in his image, and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's never too late to have a different future. It's never too late. And so I want you to just thank God this morning. Just open up your heart. Just worship him. Just love him. Just be grateful for what he's going to do, how he's going to speak to you, how he's going to touch you this morning. Lord, we thank you for every person here. We pray a blessing over each and every one. Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray a blessing, God. Touch every heart today, Lord God. Touch every life today, Father. God, we thank you for each and every one, God. We thank you for the unconditional love that you have, how you love us, how you lavish your goodness upon us. Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just bring encouragement as he already has, God. We already sense the encouragement of God in this place this morning. And we know that through the word of God, there will even be a greater measure, God, because your word is life. It is each and every one we pray in Jesus' name. And once again, you take a moment to greet someone and welcome them this morning. Amen. Amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. God bless you. Good to see you here this morning. I want you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We are continuing uh, what started out as a one uh, standalone sermon. Now it's become part three uh, unexpectedly, but I just felt there was so much in this passage of scripture. And so this morning we're going to look at the title, Less is More. Less is More. Now, people are frequently confused about the difference between a paradox and an oxymoron. Both involve words, with se words which seem contradictory or incongruous. But here's a list of some of the top oxymorons. Same difference. Taped live. Peace force. Pretty ugly. Plastic glasses. Headbutt, working vacation, jumbo shrimp, tax return. <laughs> those are oxymorons. Um, but, but those are usually funny, but they're different from a past. Although it may seem, uh, may appear opposed to common sense, it is nevertheless true. The definition for a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. When you look in the Bible, when you, when you study the scriptures, when you, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, and again, the apostles, just really throughout the Bible, you will see that the Bible, that the teachings are full of paradoxes. For example, 
To be honored, you must be humble. Right? The Bible says if you want to um, find your life, you must lose it. That's a paradox. To be rich, you, make my, you must make oneself poor. If you want to live, you must die. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. Now, those are paradoxes, right? Jesus said if you want to be the greatest of all, you must be the servant of all. And I can go on, and there are so many um, more just like that throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. And, 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 and paradoxes really were a major component of Jesus' teaching. One significant study or one significant paradox that I want to bring to your attention is found in Judges chapter 7. And I've entitled this, Less is More. Less is More. Judges chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, we're talking about Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped against the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Marah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. This, then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps uh, from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set a pot by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to the mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go and every man to his place. Interesting. Less is more. What a paradox. We had studied and looked at the last couple of weeks, uh, Judges chapter 6, and we see that the Israelites were preparing to engage an enemy in battle, and in chapter 6, we see the calling of a man named Gideon, who was the least in his father's house, his tribe was the smallest, his clan was the smallest, and he was the least likely that God would choose. And we find in, in, in Judges chapter 6 that there were seven years that um, the people of God were oppressed. It, it, for seven years, whatever they sowed, the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the east would come against them and they would destroy the fruit of the land. 
It wasn't a total um, subjugation. It wasn't a total occupation by the enemy uh, of the promised land, of the peoples, of God's people. But it was, it was just this, this subtle uh, wearing away. And, and it just, they would come in just at harvest time. The people of Israel would sow the field, they would sow the land, they would cultivate it, they would fertilize it, and just when they were about to harvest it, just when they were, uh, could actually uh, almost taste the food, the enemy would come in and rob them. He would destroy the fruit of their land. He would leave no supply for Israel, neither sheep nor donkey. And the Bible says they would come up as numerous as locusts, riding camels without number, without number or innumerable. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 6, verse 7, that the children of Israel, God's people, were greatly impoverished. Now again, this was, was a seasonal invasion at harvest time where the enemy would come in. And this caused the people to get desperate. Now, you and I have to acknowledge in our walk with God and our spiritual development, learning the ways of God, you and I all tend to be great prayer warriors when things get difficult. We all learn how to pray uh, more fervently, more passionately. Uh, we learn how to fast. We learn how to get desperate when the needs get great. So when this was happening to the children of Israel, the Bible says in verse, um, the verse I think it's verse 10, um, no, verse 7, verse 8, one of those verses. It's in chapter 7, there it is, okay. Um, back up to 6. So uh, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So this plight that they were uh, dealing with, this, this very challenging time, this time of, uh, of privation and, and, and of uh, devastation. Uh, the children of Israel, they cry out to God. Now what's interesting, right? They cry out to God because of what they're going through. They did not realize that what they were facing had a moral cause, they didn't realize that what they were going through really had a spiritual cause. And sometimes we go through things and we don't even know why we're going through it, but at least when we cry out to God, God will begin to give us insight. God will begin to show us. God will begin to reveal to us what's going on. So they cry out to God. And you know what? God sends a prophet. God gives a word. And you know, when we come into the house of God or, or throughout the week in our lives, when we seek God, God will begin to reveal some things to us. God will begin to show some things to us. And they cry out to the Lord. God sends a prophet. And you know what God says to them? Listen, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you into the promised land. And I made a covenant with you. And I said, do not worship foreign gods. Don't worship idols. But you disobeyed my voice. So what they were going through or what, uh, the, 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 what they were suffering was a direct, in direct correlation to their disobedience. It was because they had forsaken God. But again, God in his mercy, God in his grace gets their attention. They turn to him and they humble themselves and they begin uh, to experience the blessing and the deliverance of God. Amen? So, so here are the children of Israel at this point, and God uh, comes to Gideon, and he calls Gideon to be a deliverer. Now, the Bible says that the force or the, 
the total of, of the enemy or the, the army they were going to face, it says that they were innumerable. When we look at chapter 7, we find out there were at least 135,000 Midianites, Malachites, uh, people, people of the east. So, so now Gideon is putting together his army. He has 32,000 soldiers. 32,000 versus 135,000. If you do your math, it's, it's about four to one. Now, with God and with a trained force, with, with, with some good, good soldiers, maybe, maybe they could um, beat the Midianites. Maybe they could overcome the odds and four to one they could, they could overcome and they can win the battle. It says in Judges chapter 6, verse 5, that they were numerous as locusts, camels without number. Uh, seven, chapter 7, verse 12, as the sand by the seashore and multitude. And so when we, when we put all that together, um, Judges 8, 10 says at least 135,000. So the question is, how is Gideon going to overcome the enemy with $32,000? Well, 32,000 soldiers. Well, with God, they can do it. Amen? But God, first of all, told Gideon, you need less to win this battle. What? It's, it's going to be overwhelming. 32,000 against 135,000. We're outgunned. We're outnumbered. Four to one. And God says, you still have too many. You need less to win this battle. What a paradox. Less is more. Now, that's encouraging as Christians, that's encouraging in our walk with God because we begin to understand the principles of God's kingdom are so much different than the principles of this world, than the ways of this world. God does not work according to man's ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so God will many times bring us to a place of less or reduction or few to do even a greater work. Now, we don't like that because we want more. But in God's economy, less is more. Look, at, look what it says in, in verse 2 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Too many. It says, Israel can then claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. God wanted to make sure the people knew who did it. He was going to make sure that all the people knew that it was the Lord's doing. There are many scriptures we know. Zechariah 4.6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Psalm 44, listen to this. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us, what deeds you did in their days, in days of old. How you drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. How you afflicted the peoples and cast them out. Look at verse 3. This is Psalm 44. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them, 
but it was your right hand, your arm, in the light of your countenance, because you favored them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I read it, I believe, last week or the week before. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the weak to shame the mighty, the base and despised to bring to nothing the things that are. That why? That no flesh should glory in his presence, but he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. What are we saying? That at the end of the day, that what, no matter what you and I go through, we come to the place, we realize it's all about him. It's all about his power. It's all about his grace. It's all about his unconditional love. It's all about the Lord's doing. You see, God has always, throughout scripture, and you and I can testify, God has always done his greatest work his most memorable miracles in our life when we got to the point where we were reduced to nothing. I want to share with you, I've shared this before, there's a lot of new people in the church, but when we first started Victory, we, were, we started 33 plus years ago. We started um, with just a handful of people, just a core group, about 15 people or so. 12 people and some children. And we began to meet in this hall where we were having a prayer meeting, we were having a Bible study, and we were just renting this hall, and then we were in the preparatory stage to begin a Sunday worship service. And we came to the place of beginning to publicize it, we had printed up literature, we had printed up brochures, and we were going to start our Sunday morning church service in this building. But just a few weeks before that was going to take place, I got a call from the chairman of the board who was over this building, this facility that we were meeting at. And he told me this one night, I remember it so distinctly, so clearly, he said to me, you cannot have church in that building anymore. Now, we had prepared for months. We had searched the community. We had searched the neighborhood. We had done our due diligence and research. We cannot f find a building, a venue, a place for the church to meet because there was nothing available, nothing within our budget. And so when he told me that we could not meet in that building, was reduced to nothing. I remember being so discouraged. Now, I'm young. I'm a young man. I was only 20, 24, 25 years old. And I remember getting on my knees, being so discouraged. And I says, God, unless you speak to me, unless you give me a word, I can't move forward. The next night, we were going to have an outreach in the park. I was so discouraged. I said, God, unless you speak to me, I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. But you know what God was doing? He was reducing us. He was about to... Re reveal to us that less is more. I got on my knees and I began to pray and, and, and as clear as I've ever heard God, it wasn't an audible, audible voice, but I opened up in my Bible and if a scripture ever jumped off the page and grabbed a hold of me, it was at that moment. I opened up the Bible and it fell open to Revelation chapter three and, and, and God spoke to me, said, I have opened the door that no man could shut. Amen. See, I was told by, by a chairman of a board, I was told by a caretaker of a building that you cannot 
meet in this building. This door is closed. And I had felt spiritually it was an attack of the devil. It was like the devil telling me, your ministry is going to stop even before it begins. But, but God spoke to me and said, I've opened the door that no man could shut, no devil can shut, no person can shut. And I received that word. Now I want you to understand, nothing changed. I got up from that place of prayer. Nothing had changed on the outside, but something had changed on the inside. Got up from that place of prayer, and, and the next night was the outreach, and, and, and I was full of faith and expectancy, and I knew God was going to do something. We had an outreach in the park, and, and after the, um, we, we, we had some ministry, we gave an altar call, some people came forward to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to commit their life to Christ, and there was this one couple that they asked me, they, they wanted to know about, a little bit about the church, and they said, well, where's the church going to be? And here I am the pastor I don't know <laughs> where's the building I don't know but I said we're trusting God and this man turned around in the park that we were at and he pointed to a building he said you know I can get you that building I'm the on-site property manager of that building and I can get you that building for a great price I said now we're talking we ended up getting that storefront they wanted 700 When I had looked into it before, they wanted $700 a month, which was beyond our budget back then. Today, is, it's a joke. Um, but back then, it was a lot of money. It needed money for innovation, needed materials. He got it for us for $350 a month. Plus, he got the owner to put in money, materials. He bought a rug. He bought cabinets for the kitchen. So we were able to get into that building. This is, this is back in 1989. Some of you weren't even born, but... but but trust me, as this is God, how God worked, and we got that building. Now, my parents, we're from this neighborhood, we're from this community. My parents, back in 1948 to 1951, 1952, had an Italian restaurant in the neighborhood. Now, that was before my time. Now, I, I, I might look, some of you might think I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I always known that they had this restaurant, but I never had a frame of reference because it was before I was born. And I'm sure they told me over the years. But when we got the building, when we secured that storefront, my parents said, that is the very place, the very building, the very storefront that they had a restaurant in 20, 30, 40 years, even before I even knew that. Now, only, only God, only God could put that together. Only God could do that. Only God can open a door that no man could shut. But see, that miracle happened. Uh, uh, that the, the way God worked was, it was a closed door. I would have never known, this church would have never had that testimony. We would have never experienced the open door if there wasn't a closed door. And God quickened that to me just last year or two and said, the, my, one of the greatest miracles of this church, one of the greatest provisions, came out of a closed door. We don't like closed doors. We like an open door. But God's miracle comes when there's less. He brings and adds his more. Only God can multiply zeros. Not only that, again, less is more. Uh, just about a year or two later, uh, a little over a year later, I asked the property manager, I says, uh, I want you to let the owner know if he's ever interested in selling this building, uh, we're interested in buying it. Now, we didn't have any money. We couldn't afford to pay attention. We had so little, I'm, I'm telling you, um, oh, I'm telling we, we had so little, we couldn't afford, we, we had no business, we had no right even asking that. 
but except inspired by the Lord because less is more. So the owner had purchased that building for $275,000 back in the 80s when the market was high and then it crashed, then it went up, then it crashed, now it's, it's high. And so he paid that much. So he, uh, he was from out of state and he offered it to us for 170000 Went to prayer, we counted with 125000 uh, 130000 He came down to one forty. We counted again with $135,000. Now this is a building that is half the price that he paid for it. He would not go any lower than $140,000. We're at $135,000. In prayer, as I prayed, I sensed the Lord say, do not bid one more dollar. Now, $5,000 over the course of a 30-year mortgage is peanuts. It's a few dollars a month. It's really not much. The wisest business decision would have been, we'll take it for 140000 But I just sensed the Lord say, do not bid anymore. What ends up happening is, and now, now let me just say this, I got a little nervous because he refused the, the 135, and, and if he sold it, we only had a short-term lease. He could, kick, he could kick us out after the lease is over, or whoever buys it can kick us out, and we're in trouble again. So I started to get nervous, and I started to explain that to God. Isn't it funny how we try to explain God? God, do you know what's happening? You know what could happen if this doesn't work out? And I started to get nervous in the service. But here's what happened. Less. A few weeks later, I'm the only one standing in the driveway of that property, of that building area. I'm the only one bidding with the, with the bank, against the bank. So instead of paying 135, instead of paying 140, at an auction, we paid $117,000. Less is more when you have God as your partner. When you let God take control, when you let God work in your situation. And so God has been so good and so faithful and, and he's always, he, he, he reduces us so, so that we can learn faith and so that ultimately he can get the glory. Because you have to understand, it's not about a man strutting. It's not about a denomination or a church being cool. It's not about someone thinking that they're God's man of faith and power for the hour. It's about the glory of his name. Because God says, I will share my glory with no one. Don't rob the glory. Don't touch the glory of God. And so God is saying, listen, I've got to reduce you because you know why? You're going to think you did it. And so you wonder why God sends you through difficult times? Do you wonder why God humbles you? Do you wonder why things get hard and, and things are trying and people begin to speak about you negatively and begin to criticize you and begin to say all things? Why? Because God's reducing you because less is more and when he does work, he's going to get the glory and it will be for your good. So quickly, quickly, uh, how does God accomplish this great work? Three things, three things I want to share with you. How can less be more? When you are willing, when you are willing, verse three. 
Now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once. And 22,000 people returned. Only 10,000 remained. Wow. What, what, what God basically told Gideon, I want you to tell the people, whoever's afraid, go home. Imagine Sunday morning. Who's ever afraid, go home. And two-thirds of you stand up and walk out. How's that for moral support? How's that for a leader to say, wow, we're really going to impact our city. We're really going to touch souls. We're really going to bless people. We're really going to do the work of Go home. If you're not willing, go home. You see, this was Gideon's army, 32,000 strong. Yes, he's outnumbered four to one, but, but again, with, it's, it's, at least, it's at least within striking distance. Seven out of ten go home. Only 10,000 are remaining and willing to, gain, to engage the enemy. These 10,000, at least, they were, they were not looking at the size of the enemy. They were looking at the size of their God. Okay, Gideon, now you're reduced to 10,000, but at least you've got 10,000 that are willing that are fearless, and, and it's overwhelming, but with God, you still have 10,000. You're, you're still outnumbered 13 to 1. God says, verse 4, the people are still too many. Wow. You know, when we talk about willingness... As God's people, if, if less is going to be more, you have to be willing to work with God. You have to be willing to make the sacrifices. You have to be willing to give yourself to the work of God. See, God's work just doesn't happen because people are haphazard, uh, uh, in one day, out another day, committed sometimes, not committed. This church has grown and has become what it is because of committed, faithful, willing people. Do you know in, in our, in our uh, uh, history as, as, a, as, as missionaries, not, not, not this church, but the church as a whole, you know, when, when missions work first uh, became a, a driving force of the church around the world, pioneer missionaries in the 1700s, 1800s, you know what they use for their luggage? I'm talking about willingness. I'm talking about willingness and their commitment to serve God. Missionaries, pioneer missionaries used a casket for their luggage. Literally transported wooden caskets because they used it as their luggage, but they also realized they were going and they were, they were going all in. They were going for the sake of Christ and they knew they might never return. Talking about willingness. I'm talking about willingness as, as the people of God. Are you willing to take up your cross? Deny yourself. That's not something people like to hear about in America because America is all about indulging yourself. It's not about denial. And again, we're talking about a paradox. We're talking about how can less be more. When you're willing to go God's way, God will take the little and he'll make it much. God will bless the little you have. It could be little education and he'll still raise you up like he did D.L. Moody with a fifth or sixth grade education to raise up Bible colleges and, and universities. How? Because he gave his little to God and God made it much. Are we still thinking that we are all in America? Even
the church. We think we can do this thing if we got the right lighting, the right sound, the right this, the right that. God doesn't need any of that. Do we realize for 19,000, 1900 years, the church, 2000, we didn't have a sound system. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have live stream. We didn't have technology. We didn't have a phone. We didn't have a text. How did the early church do it? How did they do it in the book of Acts? They had the power of the Holy Spirit. 120 people in the upper room. Just a few. Just a few. How, how is Jesus going to use them to impact the world? Now we have 2 billion followers of Jesus or more. 120, less was more because they were committed, because they were, they, were, they were sold out. My question to you, when is the last time you did something for God without being asked? When's the last time you did something in the church, in ministry, without being asked? I'm reminded of the woman, uh, the Shumanite woman in the days of Elisha. You know, Elisha would come traveling through as a prophet of God. And, and, and the Bible says that this woman, she was a notable woman, a woman of means. And, and she said to her husband, she says, I perceive that this is a man of God and he's passing through. Why don't we make him a room? Why don't we make him a prophet's chamber? So whenever he passes through, he has a place. Let's put a lamp, let's put a table, let's put a place for him to refresh himself. Here he has a place. You know what is remarkable about that passage of scripture? No one told her to do it. No pastor asked her to do it. Nobody made it a requirement of membership. Hello? She just did it. So my question to you, my challenge to myself, when is the last time you just did something to be a blessing? You just did it without being asked, without being told, without being... Uh, Knock, someone knocking on your door, texting you, emailing you, patting you on the back, burping you, giving you a bottle. No, you just did it. You just did it. I love what it says of David. One day, he just was, was thinking of the goodness of God in his life. And he said to his advisors, he said, who is there? Who is left in the household of Jonathan that I might just show the goodness of God too. It's funny because I put that on Facebook and, and it got just, you know, a few likes. Show a picture of some people, you get 89 likes. But I says, who can you show the goodness of God to today? A couple people liked it. I hope less is more. So the willingness, the willingness, brothers and sisters... The willingness, God is looking for willing people. God help us in this church age, God help us in this time frame that there would be a willingness in the church of Jesus Christ to sell out, to give to the cause of Christ, to give to missionaries, to do the work of God, to serve without being asked, and not just serve where you want to serve, but sometimes you just got to serve where there's a need. Someone once said, how do I know when, when I should serve? Well, sometimes if you see a need, just meet it. Thank you for that weak amen. How could less be more when you are willing? How else can less be more? Number two, when you are watchful. When you are watchful. Verse five. 
Well, verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Now he's from 32,000, he's down to 10,000. The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. This will be that the one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go. Whomever I say, this shall not go, the same shall not go. So, so here was the test. They brought them down, verse 5, to the water. The Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. Now you have how many? We started out with 32,000. We're down to, the Lord said there's still too many. Went from four to one. Now it's, now it's 13 to one. The Lord said you still got too many. So here's how you're going to test them. You're going to go down and they're going to drink water. Now, I'm going to, I want you to set apart those who take with their hand and they drink the water. Those who get down at all four, I'm not going to do that. In, <laughs> you've got a good imagination. The number of those, verse 6, who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. Now, what, what does that speak of? You see, the 300 that put their hand to their mouth with their water cup in their hand, and they lapped it up like this, and their head was up. You see, less is more when you are watchful. You see, they were the ones that were being watchful. They understood they were in a war. They understood they were in a battle. They understood that they needed to be vigilant. And so what does that speak of? It speaks of keep your head up. Don't let your head hang down in life. There are enough discouraging things in this world. There are enough diseases to worry about. If it isn't COVID, it's monkeypox. And I'm telling you, the devil works in a spirit of fear, and there are a lot of fear preachers on TV who are telling us the world in sickness and disease. Let me tell you, that gets in your mind. Don't, if you're you, if you're like me now, I'm going to be a little transparent, but sometimes I feel an ailment, and all of a sudden you start thinking, do I got monkeypox? There's only, I don't know, 70 in all of the world, and I'm one of them. Start feeling a pain. Is that, is that the big C? And I'm not talking about Christ. Is it cancer? And then COVID, I'm going to die of it. Come on now. Are you with me? Are we people of faith? A thousand may fall at your right hand. Ten thousand at your left. But it shall not come near you. I shall live and not die. I shall proclaim the praises of God. I shall live all my days. Hallelujah. You know, see, see, in different stages of life, don't you have different scriptures? I remember, Pastor Mike, when I was young in Bible college and starting out a ministry, I was only 25 pastoring, 25 years old. God's grace. But I love scriptures that said, let no man despise you because you're young but be an example to the believers. I love those scriptures where, where, where God says to Jeremiah, don't say you're a youth. 
You know, but, but that's, that's when you're young. When you get a little older, you start having different scriptures. Hello? You know, like even the scripture David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. When I was young, I would say I've been young, but I couldn't say I was old. But then, there, then you get older, now you start claiming the scriptures. Caleb. I am 85 years old today. But I am strong this day as I was 45 years ago. You start claiming the scriptures, Moses. Come on, I'm appealing to my older brothers and sisters. You start appealing. Moses, he said, he, his strength did not abate, nor was his eye dim. He was, in, he was 120. Oh, my Lord. You start, there starts to be a shift in, in scriptures. You start quoting and claiming in, in different seasons of your life. What does that have to do with my message? Everything. Amen. Keep your head up. Oh, Matt, don't be discouraged. Don't let it hang down. There are enough discouraging things in life. And even people in the church, sometimes they're discouraged. And sometimes they look around and they, oh, you know, uh, you might look around, a lot of empty seats. I want you to understand, we put up a lot more seats. Hello? If we take out all the seats that we had pre-COVID, we wouldn't have enough seats. But psychologically and then negatively, oh, wow, I see a few rows missing over there. Did people leave? Did people? No, no, well, they're watching online. Uh, I'm not going to go there right now. I love it. My wife and I, we saw pass by a restaurant, uh, and, and they have live music, and they said, you, on the sign, you cannot download a live music experience can't download a live worship experience either. Keep your head up. What does Psalm 3 say? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of me, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield. You are the glory and the lifter of my countenance, of my head. You're the glory and lifter. God wants to be the glory and lifter of your head. David said it, there's many that rise up against me. There's many, let me tell you, if you serve God, if you love God, if you want to be all God, God wants you to be, let me tell you, you're going to be tried, you're going to be tested, you're going to go through things in life and say, why did I have to go through this? I never thought I would have to, I never thought I'd find myself here, but God has a plan. God has a plan. He's still going to be the glory and the lifter of your head. They were watchful. They had their head up. They were looking in case the enemy came. I'm telling you, they had some stuff to them. 300 of them. 9,700 of them just got down on all fours. Like some church people. They won't do anything. They won't do anything in the church. They won't set up. They won't break down. But if you have a banquet, they'll come. Hallelujah. With their whole entourage and their whole dressing gear. But as soon as they're going to start cleaning up, they're out the door. They're not watchful. Come on, say amen. That's the truth. Don't get, don't get a little whatever on me because I'm preaching the truth. And some people need to hear it. Some pastors won't preach it because they don't want people to leave their church. But let me tell you, if you just have 300, you can go against 135,000. God doesn't need a lot to work with. They kept their, their heads up. They kept their eyes open. Not only were their heads up, their eyes were open, they were looking, they were scanning the horizon. 
what were they doing? They were being vigilant. They were being vigilant. They understood they were about to engage an enemy, and they didn't know if it would be a surprise attack. They don't know if they'd be ambushed. Their eyes were open. We need to keep our eyes open. We're living in a culture today that is so sick. It is beyond belief what is going on in our culture, in our world, and we need to have our eyes open. The devil wants to blind you. The devil wants to shut your eyes. The devil wants you to take it all in and thinking it's a political issue, thinking it's a Democrat issue, a Republican issue. It's a sin issue. It's stuff that's going on that God is not pleased with. And the people of God need their eyes open. Come on, somebody say amen. Keep your eyes open. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, I want you to watch and pray. Watch, keep your, be vigilant. What happened? Even the disciples, they fell asleep. And he said to them, he didn't say, oh, you know, God loves you. We love you. Come, come back to church. It's all good. No, he says, what? Are you kidding me? Some of us will be patting them on the back and, oh, I love you. God bless you. Sometimes we're going to say, wait, hey, hey, wait a minute. You couldn't watch an hour? How come you weren't? Not you. I'm just using because you're sitting there. You couldn't watch for one hour? He said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. There is a devil. There is a devil that is looking to kill, steal, and destroy. And he is using all manner of temptations and attacks against the people of God. We see it happening in the world, but we're different. We're, we're watching, amen? We're watching. Be sober, the Bible says. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. See, they were vigilant. Faith has feet. Come on, faith has feet, meaning we do something. We're ready. We're prepared. We're watchful. We talk about revival. We talk about God wanting to do some great things, and I believe he does. But I want to ask you, are we, are we watchful? Are we ready for it? Do you know what that means? When increase comes, more people come, more work, more responsibility, more discipleship. Are we ready for all that God wants? Let's get ready, brothers and sisters. Let's be vigilant. Let's be like the 300. And thirdly, and I finish up with this, how can less be more when you learn to wait? Gideon now has his 300 men. But you know what I, what I noticed? They didn't move ahead presumptuously. They waited in faith for the right time. Brothers and sisters, if you want to do business with God, you've got to learn how to wait. I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. I want it now. But you've got to learn how to wait. They were, they were willing. They were watchful. But now you've got to wait on God's timing. You know, something could be God's will, but not his timing. And there's where a lot of people get messed up. Oh, they, God's well, I know God's called me to do this. Well, yeah, are you putting feet to it? Are you, are you walking it out until the fulfillment of that word? Are you preparing for that? Are you, are you waiting for it? See, God's timing, the Bible says even Jesus came in the fullness of time. Never, ever negotiate the vision God gives you. Just negotiate the time frame. In other words, if God gives you a vision, don't lose sight of it, but just negotiate and understand maybe it's a timing issue. You're never too old for God to use you. 
You're never too old. For, thank you for that amen from a, an older gentleman. You're never too young for God to use you. I was hoping one young person would have said amen. You see, many of us get ahead of God. Many of us fall way behind. But timing is everything. The Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Psalm 27 says, wait in faith on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You see, in the waiting, there is growth. There is maturity. There is clarity. There is wisdom. Perspective changes in the waiting. Amen? Perspective changes in the waiting. When you're waiting on God, when you're waiting on the fulfillment, when you're waiting on God to take the less and do more, your perspective changes. What happens? You grow. You mature. You develop. I told you I was from, uh, born in the neighborhood, actually, um, Monticello Street, just, just a few blocks away near Branch and Child Street. And uh, lived there until I was five and then moved to North Providence. But my family still had a jewelry sh uh, sh shop in, in, in Providence. So I'd be in Providence a lot. And I remember playing down the end of Monticello Street. And I remember as a kid playing, that street was so long. And there was a stone wall that was so high. And, and I, just, just recently I drove by it. And I looked at that street. I looked at that wall. I said, the wall is like this high. The street was so restricted and so small. But when I was five years old, six years old, seven years old, that wall was so high. I mean, I, had a, I couldn't climb up it. Now I'd fall over it. What happened? I grew. I changed. I matured. I developed. That big, big street, that big, expansive area in my little mind is no longer big. It's small. And you see, spiritually, sometimes we look at things and they're overwhelming. They're too big. But as we begin to grow, as we begin to mature, as we begin to develop, God changes it. There was a man who tried to climb Mount Everest. And he tried several times to scale Mount Everest. And he failed one time after another. And he got so discouraged. And, and people said, quit, give up, don't try. You're going to kill yourself. You'll never be able to do it. But something rose up within him. And he went to Mount Everest. And he, and he stood aside of that mountain. And he shook his fist. He says, you will not grow any bigger. But I will. I will. And eventually, he ended up climbing and conquering that mountain. Would you stand together with me this morning? I'm going to ask for the singers and the musicians if they would come back this morning. Amen. You know, I read an article, more Americans, this is, this is I don't know why I'm repeating this because it's, it's fear-mongering, but you've seen this anyway. More Americans are stressed about money than ever. And it, listen to this. Now, this was not a Christian article. It says, more Americans are stressed over money and it's hurting our mental health. According to American Psychological, uh, Psychological um, Association, 87% of Americans said inflation and riding, rising cost of everyday goods is what, what is driving the stress. 40%, 4 out of 10 says it negatively impacts their mental health. Look what the article said. Now, this is not a Christian article. The article said, I think that people need to have a sense of hope. Not a Christian article. It says, 
To be financially secure in retirement, it's going to take a miracle. That's what we should be saying. This morning, I want to say to you, bring your less to God, and he can make more out of it. Some of us have experienced that over our life. We need to draw the faith and the inspiration from past miracles and bring them into present stress, present problems. I know what it is for God to work and say, I've opened the door that no man could shut. I was only 25 years. I didn't know any better, but I had a word from God. And that door is still open. The devil tries to close it. I say, devil, you're a liar. God gave me a word. I've opened the door. No man could shut it. But you know what? I still face things in my life. You're still facing things in your life. Although God's done miracles, you can stand up here and testify of how God made a way for you where there was no way, how God gave a breakthrough, how God miraculously provided financially, how God brought you from another country to America, how God did things, how God gave you an education. You never thought you can get a bachelor's degree. Not only did you get a bachelor's, you got a master's degree because you brought your less and he made more. But the reality is right now, right now, we're facing another battle another struggle, another challenge. And we've got to believe that even when our paycheck looks less, God can make it more. If you honor God, the Bible says that he who gathered too much, it tended to poverty. But he who scattered abroad had no lack. What is that talking about? It's talking about God's principle. It's, it's antithetical to our world, but it's, it's true in the kingdom. It's a paradox. Less is more. When you honor God, he'll make a way for you. He'll stretch that, that 90% further than you could stretch the 100% when you honor him with the tithe. Same thing with your time. God, I don't know if I have time to come to life groups. I can't serve. I got this. I got that. God says, you know what? You give me your time. I'll bless it and I'll make more with the less. We have story after story in the scripture. 5,000 men, not including women and children, could have been 15, 20,000. And the Bible says that a little lad had a few loaves and a few fish. And what did the disciples say? What is this among so many? What can this little do when there's so much of a need? God says, bring it to me. David facing a giant, all he needed was a few small stones. But see, all of it has to do with the blessing and anointing of God upon it. When we take our little, God blesses it. This morning, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing, it could be financial, it could be mental, it could be physical, it could be relational. Come on, let's bring our less to God. Let us, let's bring our little to him this morning. Would you move out of your seats as they begin to sing, as we begin to worship? We want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. I'm going to ask the pastors, the elders, come on, let's minister to the body of Christ. We all need ministry. Come on, let's pray for one another. Let's believe for one another this morning. If you need to leave, please, please do so quietly. I'm going to ask the ushers if people need to leave make sure they talk outside keep these doors closed let's create an atmosphere where God can make more out of less amen God bless you